Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, welcome back. I hope you guys are excited for a episode almost solely dedicated to talk about macroeconomics as well as, of course, some geopolitics and monetary policy sprinkled in as well. Now, I want to start off with the trade deal, as as the title of this video suggests, this trade deal that China and the U.S. reportedly agreed upon in principle last Friday. And I want to start by saying that at this point in time, I'm extremely skeptical that it any it holds any real water. With the drama that we've seen surrounding this trade deal, I'm highly doubtful. I'm pessimistic that this is the real deal. I think that there's much, much more drama to come, and and I'm still pessimistic that that a good trade deal is is going to be worked out in the first place. I mean, this trade deal, like I said, it was in principle. Nothing's been written down. Nothing's been signed yet. And it doesn't really address all the problems that were there in the first place between U.S. and China trade, including not only things like the the trade balance, i.e. U.S.'s trade deficit to to China, uh, but also things like uh, theft or transfer of technology and intellectual property from tech companies, etc. And uh, even if it ever is worked out, a full-blown trade deal, it still won't address some deeper geopolitical rifts between China and the United States on the topics of Taiwan, Hong Kong, uh, North Korea, and and I'm sure many, many more in the future. And there's probably other ones that are that are escaping my mind at this time. So I I mean this everything I said here probably shouldn't come as a surprise to my longtime listeners. I'm skeptical of of anything that comes out about this trade deal. If anything, the announcement last Friday is probably just more noise. And already, people in in the U.S. financial media are are growing skeptical that it holds any weight to to this agreement. But let's say that a trade deal is ultimately worked out over the next couple weeks. Let's say that some of these other issues, including you know, Chinese purchase of agricultural products and this this topic of intellectual property theft. Let's say all of those topics are worked out between the U.S. and China. All of them are addressed in some way or another. I mean, I think the knee-jerk reaction by the markets is going to be positive. And understandably, I mean, the U.S. financial media has really been fixated on this trade war for, for over a year and a half now. Right, other topics have come and gone, but but that's sort of been uh, the the one topic that has hung around for for many many months. And so, if it is ultimately worked out, the knee jerk reaction is going to be to the upside. However, I think first of all, they're they're going to be making a dangerous assumption that it's a good trade deal. Of course, Trump, you know, regardless of what the deal is, will will parade it as you know the the best deal in the history of deals. However, 
I think that's, again, making some dangerous assumptions. I think another very dangerous assumption is that once it is worked out and all these tariffs are taken off of these imports and et cetera, that that is going to be a net positive for economic growth. Or more more importantly, because I think it probably will, right? Once tariffs are taken off, I, I've been a staunch uh, opponent of of tariffs since they've been placed, that, that they slow economic growth and, and all these other reasons. They're going to, you know, economic growth, all things considered, should probably improve over the short term once those tariffs are taken off. However, I think it's a dangerous assumption to, to say that the end of the trade war is somehow going to create enough economic growth to save off all of these major economic problems that the U.S., China, and the entire world is staring at right now. You know, the IMF just the other day came out and, and said that the U.S., or not the U.S., sorry, the world is currently going into a synchronized slowdown, the likes of which we haven't seen since uh, Lehman went down in 2000, remind me, 2008, 2007, 2008, right? Fall of 2008, like 11 years. That's not something that's going to be fixed by a U.S.-China trade deal. Don't get me wrong. There's an economic benefit to it. Stocks are probably going to be up. Consumer confidence, CEO confidence, all that. Yeah, that's going to bounce. But then I think there's going to be a very important problem that people will run into, that the financial media will run into, uh, markets will run into. What's next? I mean, and like I said, 18 plus months of this trade deal has been going on. And, and it's been 18 plus months of a trade deal is about to be worked out and markets are up you know, 5% over a couple days. And then another headline of, oh, wait, things aren't going to work out, get worked out and markets are down 2%. And then up 5%, down 2%. And of course, that's just, you know, rough estimate. But, but markets have really thrived under. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This, this, this regime of, of trade talk rumors that, that oftentimes carry very little fact. And so what happens when this gets worked out? They get a bounce. The S&P is back above 3,000. The Dow Jones is doing well. And then what? Then it's sort of back to reality, right? We're, we're no longer hyper-focused on are Chinese delegates going to, to stop in Washington or, or not? Uh, these, these headlines from, from these Chinese uh, newspapers that people otherwise don't pay attention to. Now, all that's going to be behind us. Again, I'm making very bold assumptions that this is going to actually get worked out. I'm still skeptical. But if it does, it's back to reality again. And hey, guess what? Reality, i.e. hard economic data, uh, uh, things like profits from corporations, all that, that should really be what's driving the stock market and driving economic growth. Well, that reality is not so fun. That's not so positive. That's not so conducive to new all-time highs in stocks, new uh, 
highs in, in GDP growth for, for, for the last five years or whatever. No, if anything, things are getting worse. Like I said, the IMF talking about a global synchronized slowdown, likes of which we haven't seen in 11 years. The Fed, let's talk about the Fed for a second. They're dealing with some problems right now that can hardly be blamed on the trade deal in China, right? There's a very tenuous connection, if any, between what the Fed is doing right now, uh, some of the problems that they're trying to alleviate, I think in vain, but trying to alleviate through their, their open market operations. I mean, last week, Friday, the same day that this uh, trade deal light uh, uh, came out, uh, the Fed announced their not QE program. I mean, this is such an Orwellian future that we live in where there's these words that, you know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about. If you've seen, if you've read 1984, this idea of, of like redefining things, right? Let's call this program that is so obviously QE, not QE, right? But, but that same day, the Fed came out and said, look, we're starting not QE again, QE, it's, it's QE, let's just call it what it is, at $60 billion a month through the uh, first quarter of 2020. That's six months, counting this month. You know, it's $60 billion a month. Do the math, that's 360 Add to that the $75 billion a month, which this morning is perhaps potentially not enough, that they're doing an overnight repo operations. 75 plus 360 is, is what, 435 Somebody check my math. Yeah, 435, 435 billion. And add to that the longer term repo, like the week, two week, et cetera, length, uh, uh, I think it's like six and 15 days repo operations, which I forget exactly how much it is, but I, th- I want to say it's over 100 billion. You know, already we're up to, you know, at least half a trillion dollars of liquidity injected into the system. You can't blame that on the Fed, or sorry, on, on this China trade deal and whatnot, right? That is a, a systemic problem. I mean, this current QE that we're seeing right now between the $60 billion a month plus the repo operations, that's bigger than QE1. This is a huge operation we're talking about, half a trillion. And and yet, Powell has has the, the gall to come out and say, this is not quantitative easing, implying that somehow this can be undone. I mean, the reality of this is right now, the the U.S. Treasury market is north of $22 trillion. And they're, they're running into a problem at this point where I think the demand is just not there. People are going to buy these bonds at this point in time. I can't guarantee that forever, but somebody would likely buy them. But they're soaking up in a huge amount of U.S. dollars. Because it takes U.S. dollars to buy these bonds. They're a sap of liquidity, systemic liquidity, dollar liquidity. And so the Fed has to step in and, and provide, as I said, about a half billion or sorry, half trillion dollars worth of liquidity over you know, a six month period. But what happens once those six months are up? I mean, these are treasury bills, short term. What is it like three month to one year bills? Not like 30-year bonds or anything like that, that they're buying up right now. So in theory, if, if Jerome Powell is actually saying that this is going to um, be un, un, 
unbought, right? Uh, that they're going to wind down their balance sheet at the end of Q, you know, starting Q2, uh, 2020. Then what he's implying is that over a 12 month period after that, they're going to be allowing these bills to, to run off, probably mature and then leave them out. So what this means is that this 22 plus trillion dollar treasury market, which the Fed will have bought about $360 billion worth through this, through this QE4, uh, that's $360 billion worth of liquidity that they will have provided to the system that they're then going to remove from the system by allowing them to run off their balance sheet. That's why I said, you know, I think it was Friday or earlier this week. I'm extremely doubtful that that this QE program is even going to end at the end of Q1 2020, right? This is QE infinity. It's here, right? But the odds of them somehow unwinding this, I mean, can you imagine if they actually did that? If they actually tried to stop buying these and then actually... Uh, let them run off their balance sheet over a 12-month period? During an election season? During a period of global synchronized slowdown? That'd be disastrous. It's not going to happen. Right? And these are the problems that I'm talking about that are extending far beyond the trade deal. This trade deal can get worked out. And then, like I said, markets can have their day in the sun. They can pop. They can move up 10%, whatever. But then there's the issue of reality. In reality is not so pretty right now. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.